Well, hello there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. It wouldn't be possible to make 13, or to make it sound so good, without the support of our patrons. So we'd like to get started by thanking our new patrons, Maddie McCormick, Jeffrey Medeiros, Liz, and Sarah McComber. Thank you so much for supporting the show. To hear your name right here, join us on Patreon, where there's a whole lot more 13. All of our tiers, $5 and above, get access to a patron-only Discord server, where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. Some tiers have exclusive patron-only merch, and there's a patron RSS feed that has ad-free episodes, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and a second monthly story. Find out more at patreon.com 13pod. We'll put a link in the show notes. This is part two of a three-part story. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, stop here and go back. We'll wait for you. This week, we're welcoming back 13 favorite Emma Sherjarko. You may have heard Emma elsewhere before, and we're so glad to have her back on the show. Also, we are featuring our first ever music guest, Proper Pet. Proper Pet was tired of being sad, so they started making music in the desert of Phoenix, Arizona. Relatable. You can and should stream Proper Pet on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. If you're in the Phoenix area, you should go see them and say hello. For more info about where you can listen to Emma and Proper Pet, check out the show notes. Okay, get comfy, turn down the lights, on with the show. I dropped Ollie off with his mom and drove back to Maysville. I felt that weight that comes over me every time that I hand off my son to his mom. I feel like I'm letting him down. The drive felt longer than normal. I'd asked him what he was looking at out the window the night before. He didn't seem to remember it. That was worrisome. When I got home, I went out back. For the first time, I took a really hard look at the gravestones in the light of day. There were two distinct stones, separated by a few feet, both caught up in the tree roots. The ground was probably rock from the ridgeline, under a thin layer of soil. The roots couldn't go down, so they just bunched up here, lifting and tangling the headstones. Even though you could make out where the names and dates used to be, they were too faint to read, or the stones were just too broken. There were definitely people buried under this tree. I spent a lot of the day googling the address, searching for information about the house. There were property records, old real estate listings. I even found the link to the property transfer from when I bought the place, but nothing else. What was it that Brandy at the hardware store had called it? The Taylor House. I Googled that. Nothing. I started searching for other terms. Ghosts, Maysville, Kentucky, Maysville Haunted House. All I saw were some videos by a professor at a university back in Louisville. As a matter of fact, all the top videos were her. But I couldn't find any mentions of my house or Maysville. I clicked on one of the video links. There isn't always a rhyme or reason to the supernatural. When most of us die, the end is just that. The end. 
But sometimes, for reasons we don't understand, sometimes, sometimes the world breaks a little bit, and the normal laws of the universe don't apply. There was a contact link. I clicked that. It went to a university email address. I thought about what I would write for a moment. And then, I changed my mind and clicked out of the page. I rested that first day that Ollie was back with his mom, but the next day, it was time to get back to work. I made a trip to the hardware store to pick up supplies, but also in hopes of seeing Brandy. She seemed to know a lot about my house that I didn't. And I was in luck. She was behind the register. Hey there, did you call in an order? I told her I did. She came back out a moment later, pushing a cart full of materials. How are things coming at the Taylor house? I told her it was going well, on schedule. A few more customers were milling around behind me. Not exactly in line, just around. I hadn't planned on it being this busy. I tried to lower my voice. So, why is it called the Taylor house? Is that the name of the family who built it? She gave me an intrigued look. They didn't tell you about it when you bought it? I thought it was law that they had to tell you. I knew exactly what that meant. And for the record, they aren't required to tell you if someone died in the house. She glanced over my shoulder at the men behind me. It's a local legend. Our town's little ghost story. Did I buy a haunted house? Tell you what, since you're new in town, why don't I fill you in at Benny's later? Oh, I don't want to take up your time or anything. I don't mind. It seems like a lot of trouble, but you're really kind to offer. She gave me a look like I was an idiot. Do you realize I'm asking you to take me out for a drink? It's okay if you don't want to, but I just need to make sure you understand what's happening here. Oh, um... Yeah, okay. Uh, when do you get off work? I'll meet you there at nine. Okay, uh, perfect. See you there at nine. I worked on the house until about six o'clock. It was already dark out. I laid down to rest before getting ready to meet Brandy. I set my alarm for 7.45 just in case I fell asleep. I heard cars passing outside, and other sounds from town, but the house itself was quiet. I haven't been on a first date in close to 10 years, not since Lindsay. I hadn't expected this. I wasn't looking for it, and I wouldn't be upset if it didn't work out. But now that it's a thing, I would just feel it out and see where it's going. Regardless, it's nice to have some attention. My mind turned to Ollie, the way he'd been standing at the window, looking down at the backyard. All of a sudden, I felt very alone in the house. I looked at my phone. It was 7.15. Outside, that steady drizzle was falling again a staple of December by the river. 
It created that familiar gray haze. Taillights on the bridge seemed to disappear at a certain distance. I heard a pop from downstairs, the house settling. I couldn't get out of this house fast enough. I showered, got dressed, and was ready to walk out the front door a full 30 minutes early. But before I did, I opened my laptop and found the tab with the info of that professor in Louisville, the one that seemed to know about ghosts, Dr. Willow. I typed out a quick email and then left to meet Brandy. Benny's is a typical small town bar. It's on Water Street, right by the river. It's the type of place that's a family restaurant in the evening, and then the kitchen closes and it's drinks only late into the night. I was early, so I waited by the bar. A moment later, the door swung open and Brandy came in. She scanned the room and found me. Hey, you made it. Sorry it was busy this morning. I hope I didn't embarrass you. I told her I was glad that she did and asked what she wanted to drink. We found a table away from the bar. She asked what brought me to Maysville and I told her a half-truth. I said that I was looking for a new start after my divorce. I started looking for houses to flip outside of Louisville and found one here. She asked if I was passing through or if I planned to stay in town. I lied again. I told her I hadn't made up my mind. I asked her if she was from Maysville. I grew up here, but I left for a while. When my dad passed, I came home. He was half owner of the store, so now I'm half owner. Oh, I thought you just worked there. Nope, it's mine. Half of it anyway. Do you like it? Most of the time. It's not what I'm going to do forever. How's the house coming along? It's good. It's an interesting place. Oh, yeah? Have you seen any ghosts yet? No ghosts, but I think I found a couple gravestones in the backyard. She leaned in over the table, a certain gleaming in her eyes. No way! Are you fucking with me? They're against the back fence, all twisted up in some tree roots. She leaned back again and looked off to the side like she was contemplating something. So, you really don't know the story about that place? No, I didn't even know it had a name until you mentioned it. Do you want to hear it? I don't want to freak you out, all alone in that big old house. I told her that I did want to hear it. She smiled, took a drink, and seemed to organize her thoughts. So it's not a long story, but it's pretty awful. There was a family there in the early 1900s. The wife left her husband and took all but one of the kids with her. She left the littlest one behind. When he realized that she wasn't coming back, he flew into a rage. He killed his little girl. And then, when he came to his senses and realized what he did, he couldn't live with himself. He dug her a grave and put her in there. Then he laid down next to her and shot himself. I tried not to react as she told the story, but all I could think about was Ollie, talking about Bootsy and her dad, about how they lived under the tree. 
sure you haven't heard this before? Are you just trying to fuck with me? You can come see it for yourself if you want. Don't get me wrong, but that's more of a third date kind of thing. Oh, right. Uh, sorry, I didn't think about how that would sound. Don't worry. I like you. I like you too. The conversation strayed away from the house. She told me more about herself. She went to college in Columbus and then moved back to Kentucky. Her parents split up. Her mom moved further south, down by the Virginia and Tennessee borders. She moved back to Maysville after her dad died, just like she said. We had a couple more drinks until midnight when Benny started to empty out. I asked if she wanted me to walk her home and she said that I could. She lived a couple blocks away from the river. The wind was biting and we walked with our hands shoved into our coat pockets. When we got to her house, she stopped and lingered on the sidewalk. I had a good time. We should do it again. I'd like that. There was a moment when we just looked at each other. We knew what we wanted. She'd made every move so far. So, it was my turn. I slept hard that night. Sometime before dawn, I found myself vaguely aware of my surroundings, like I was half asleep, but I couldn't wake up all the way. It felt like sleep paralysis. I couldn't move. My eyes were open and I could look around the room. As they adjusted to the darkness, I saw that my bedroom door was standing open. That was the first hint that something was wrong. I always close it. I can't sleep with an open door. I scanned the room, and then something started to come into view. There was a dark corner in the bedroom, covered in shadow. And in those shadows, there stood a figure. I could only see the most vague silhouette, but it was there. I felt my heart rate quicken. I still couldn't move. The figure stood still, and as my eyes continued to adjust, I could make out the beginnings of a facial structure. Eyes watching me. That's when I heard something. I couldn't tell where it came from. There was a creak on the stairs. My panic was growing stronger, and the paralysis was beginning to lift. I could move my fingers. I know that I saw what happened next, because when you're between the real world and a dream, there's usually a jolting awake, a recognition that you'd snapped out of it. But that didn't happen. I watched as the figure took a step, and then another, making his way, unhurried and unbothered, out of the bedroom, into the upstairs hallway. 
and down the stairs. It took another minute or two to regain my movement. When I did, I shot up and turned on the lamp beside the bed. There was no one else in the room. I walked through the house. It was empty. No one. The next morning, I had a response from Dr. Willow, the professor in Louisville. She said that she was interested in my story and that she'd like to schedule a visit. I wrote out a long response. I explained what happened the night before, but when I read over it, I sounded like a lunatic. I would wait and tell her in person. I told her that I was free anytime and hit send. I got back to work on the house the next day. I waited until lunchtime to text Brandy and we traded messages throughout the day. When I finished up, I got a notification from my email. It was a response from Dr. Willow. She asked if December 28th worked for me. After Christmas. Ollie would be here then. It didn't matter. I needed to get this taken care of. For his sake as much as mine. As ridiculous as it sounded, a ghost is trying to hurt my child. Something had to be done, and fast. I wrote back that the 28th would work. I'd figure something out with Ollie while they were here. A couple days passed with no new incidents. I'd left some lights on around the house at night, but I was on edge. Brandy and I got drinks again. Second dates tend to be awkward, but by the end of the night, I was walking her home, and we kissed for a long time before she went inside. It started to snow on my walk home. It made the whole night feel a little bit magical. The white sky at night made it easy to see. The snow started sticking to the grass and the sidewalks almost right away. I got home and got out of my wet clothes. I peeked into Ollie's room and turned on the light. All his things were just where they'd been when we cleaned up the night before he went back home. I thought about what Brandy had asked on our first date, if I was planning to stay in Maysville or go back to Louisville. As I looked around his room, I felt the weight of his absence. I would have to tell her that I couldn't stay here forever. I needed to be closer to my son. I laid down in his bed, like I did when he went to sleep for the night. I missed him. I looked over at the window. The curtains were open. I honestly couldn't remember if I'd closed them. I watched the snow fall against the dark ridgeline until I started dozing. I was still groggy when I got up to close the curtains before bed. As I approached the window, I was startled by something outside. Something that was there for a moment, and then was gone, so fast that I couldn't describe it. But it was accompanied by a sensation. It felt like there were eyes on me, coming from that clump of trees. It was all in my head. It had to be. But that didn't make it any easier to sleep at night.
The next morning, I woke up with a text from Lindsay, my ex-wife. Her parents had gotten sick, and she was going to look after them for a few days. She'd be gone over Christmas, and didn't think it was a good idea for Ollie to come. She asked if I could take him for a few days. She'd be back in Louisville on the 27th. I wrote back that I'd love to have him for Christmas, and that I hoped her parents were going to be okay. No response. This actually worked perfectly. I'd get Ollie for Christmas instead of New Year's, and he'd be back with his mom before Dr. Willow came to see the house and do whatever it is that she does. I went all the way to Louisville to get Ollie this time, instead of meeting in the middle. Lindsay had to get packed and she was going two hours in the opposite direction. I didn't mind. It meant that I could be away from the house for a bit. When we approached Maysville, Ollie started seeing the snow on the ground, and he was delighted. As we approached that steep, curvy road down to the old part of the city, the rooftops and hillsides were bright white. The river cut a grayish-blue track through the middle of the scene. When we got to the house, Ollie asked a question I'd been dreading. Can I play in the snow with Bootsy? Is she still there? If Ollie had forgotten about Bootsy, maybe I could believe that it was a huge overreaction. His imagination getting the better of him, and then mine getting the better of me. But he hadn't forgotten. A thought occurred to me, and I sent Brandy a text. Does the hardware store have sleds? We picked up a sled from the store, and Brandy told us the best places to find a good hill. She was planning to go see her mom in southeastern Kentucky, about two hours away. We planned to see each other again before she left, but with Ollie back in town, that would have to wait. We went home and bundled up for a day out in the cold. Ollie's room was still tidy and cleaned up. It wouldn't look this clean again until he was back with his mom. I sent Brandy another text wishing her a safe drive and to let me know when she'd arrived. Then, me and Ollie went out into the snow. Since Ollie was back, I'd taken a few days off from working around the house again. We filled our days like we'd done the first time around. Wake up, play, nap time, play again, wind down, and then bedtime. If we could squeeze in a little outing, we'd do that too. The snow kept coming, but in quick spurts. Ollie played in the back, making tiny snowmen. The next day, the next day was Christmas Eve. That night, Ollie opened up one present. It was our tradition from before, back when we were a whole family. He was so amped up about all the other presents under the tree that he had a hard time winding down for bed. I didn't mind. You only get a few of these, these early Christmases. There's no need to rush it to an end. The next morning, Ollie opened up his presents and we spent the day assembling and playing with all his new toys. Brandy texted me that morning. Two full days of family time had been enough. She was coming back to Maysville later in the day, 
and asked if I wanted to hang out and watch a movie after Ollie was in bed. I told her that I'd love to. Me and Ollie had our usual snowy day special, grilled cheese and tomato soup for dinner, and then it was bedtime. I didn't want Ollie to meet Brandy yet, not as a woman that I was interested in. I was worried that might be too much too quickly. I wasn't concerned about him waking up while she was here. Once he was down, he slept like a rock. I put him to bed and then went across the hall to my bedroom. The snow out my window was bright white. I looked out at the town for a little bit. There were almost no headlights on the bridge. Everyone was home, tucking in their little ones or watching old movies that reminded them of when they were young, back when the world still seemed endless. Brandy was about 30 minutes away. I took a shower and shaved and put on something that was meant to look good, but not like I was trying too hard. Outside the window, the yellow streetlights grew fuzzy as they got further away. I left the Christmas tree on, as sparsely decorated as it was. It made the house feel cozy. Next year, it would feel more like a normal holiday. It had to. I put on a TV channel that plays non-stop holiday rom-coms. And just then, I heard a little tapping on the door. Outside the window, I saw Brandy's car parked on the street. I let her in, and we went to the kitchen to open a bottle of wine. I poured two tall glasses and met her back in the living room. We settled into a movie. This one was about a woman coming home to the small town where she grew up. She hits it off with a local bakery owner, and everything seems a little bit too perfect. Like something's not right. I look over to Brandy and raise my arm a little. She scooched in, letting my arm fall around her shoulder. She kicked her legs up over mine and reclined back. We were both tired. But it was a comfortable kind of tired. It's so weird being in this house. Oh yeah? It was just a ghost story when I was a kid. I wanted to tell her everything that had been happening, but I didn't want to sound like I was out of my mind either. So I asked if she really believed it was haunted. Why? Have you seen something? Well, Ollie has an imaginary friend named Bootsy. Bootsy's a little girl, and she has a dad, and... Ollie told me that she lives under the tree in the backyard. You're fucking kidding me. She sat up, swinging her legs off my lap and onto the floor. Are you serious? Also, there are grave markers under that tree. Brandy's mouth dropped open. You have to show me, right now. I wasn't expecting this reaction, but we both grabbed our coats and went out into the backyard, all the way to the back where the clump of trees stood, bare with snow gripping onto the branches. I bent down and wiped the snow off the crumbled gravestones. Oh my god, I always thought it was just a story. We stood there for a moment, and then the cold really set in. There was a thin layer of snow on our coats. It had fallen just enough to smooth out all the imperfections from the day. When we turned around, Brandy noticed something. 
She pointed to the middle of the yard. I saw a fresh trail of footsteps. They came from the fence line and made their way right to the middle of the yard, stopping about 20 feet from the back porch. Had they been there when we came out? The footsteps only came one way, as if the person who made them should still be standing right there. But there was no one. I scanned the whole yard, nothing out of place. The night was so bright that there were no shadows to hide in. We walked to where the footsteps ended. It was bizarre. Let's go inside. I agreed. I had an overwhelming impulse to check on Ollie. As we reached the back door, I noticed that the lights were out. I hurried in and Brandy was just behind me. The first thing I noticed was the light coming down the hall. The front door. It was standing wide open again, a street light casting its glare off the wood floors. And right there in the middle of it was the silhouette of a person, a child. It was Ollie. He was standing directly in front of the door to the basement, looking up at the padlock I'd installed to keep him out, like he was trying to will it open, like something or someone wanted him to go down there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was part two of Tangled in the Roots, written and narrated by Ian Epperson. Brandy is Bridget Howard. Dr. Willow is Emma Scherzarko. Music, editing, and sound design by Kayla Britchie. The song you heard at the end of the bar scene is Silly Mountain by Proper Pet. Find links to Silly Mountain and the rest of Proper Pet's discography in the show notes. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Taylor Crabb, Chantel Payne, Nick, and Emily Douglas. Thank you so much for your support. There are a ton of options to support the show over on Patreon. From the all-access producer level to the $1 ad-free main episode tier. There's something for everyone. And all patrons, $5 and above, get a second monthly story. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can join the Facebook group for 13 Podcast. Just look for the logo. And we'll have links to all of that in our show notes too. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or to contact us about anything else, if you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. And we'll link that in the show notes too. Bridget Howard is engaged, y'all. And we're so freaking excited. We love you, Bridget, and we are so happy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.